Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your goodness and your grace to us. We thank you that you want to speak to us this morning and you want us to go out changed people. And people who are not just hearers of the word, but who are doers also. Help each of us to hear what you're trying to say to us this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can take your seats. So thanks so much to um, Gemma for sharing with us this morning. And we're going to talk a little bit about that in a a wee second. But we're reading from the book of James. And we're actually going to read the first whole chapter of James. Um, I didn't want Sophie to have to read too much, so I'll cap um, catch us up for the first couple of verses, but just a bit of a backstory on the book of James. We're going to read it this week, or some of you might have already read it. Um, some of you might be a bit behind, um, and that's okay. But James is um, written by James. Um, actually, his name is probably more closer to, to Jacob. Um, in the Greek, his name is Jacobas, and so some people think he, the book could, should be called Jacob, but it was written in about 40 or 45 um, AD, and he was the brother, the half-brother of Jesus, um, leader in the church in Jerusalem. It's a great book to open with someone who's new to faith or um, someone who, um, you know, is considering faith. There's a lot of really important stuff in there. It's kind of based on wisdom literature from um, the Old Testament. If you read Proverbs, it's very similar to this, this staccato way of delivering wisdom to us. It kind of changes very, very rapidly. It's not like one of Paul's letters, which starts with a theme and builds it throughout the, the book. It actually just um, gives you little um, insights throughout the book. Also, so you have an understanding of the Old Testament as well. It's kind of assumed throughout the, 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 the book as it's written to the 12 tribes, Jewish believers and in, in the dispersion around the Roman world, but also those who were, were familiar with Jesus's teachings. Um, and a lot of his teachings in Matthew will reflect what's being said here. Um, this first chapter is a bit of a microcosm for the rest of the book, so that's why we're going to look at it. Um, we're going to consider some of the stuff that's said in the later parts of the book, and even th- things that Gemma has talked about is, appears in the first chapter as well. So there's about 12 different sections in the rest of the book that talk about favoritism versus love, genuine faith, the tongue and how we speak, truth and false wisdom, a, divi- a divided heart, condemning others, the arrogance of wealth and the danger of wealth, patience and endurance, telling the truth, faith-filled prayer, and restoring others. Um, and as we're going to read the first part of the chapter here. So if you have your book, um, your immersed books, it's on page 391. Um, and if you have a Bible, it's the book of James in the chapter 1. This letter is from James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am writing to the 12 tribes, Jewish believers scattered around greetings. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. And when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver for a person who with divided loyalty is as unsettled as the wave of the sea and is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world. 
They are unstable in everything they do. Believers who are poor have something to boast about, for God has honored them, and those who are rich should boast that God has humbled them. They will fade away like the little flower in the field. The hot sun rises and the grass withers. The little flower droops and falls and its beauty fades away. In the same way, the rich will fade away with all their achievements. God bless those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterwards, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised those who love him. And remember, when you have been tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father, who created all the lights in the heavens, He has never changed or casts a shadow. He he chose to give birth to us by giving us the truth of his word. And we, out of all creation, became his prized possession. And we go on to what Sophie read to us this morning. We're going to go through the passage basically verse by verse and look at the rest of what he's going to talk about in the rest of the book. But it starts off with a really difficult topic for a lot of us. He says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. What a difficult thing for a lot of us to hear. But I wonder how the first original hearers would have heard it. These believers would have faced many difficulties in their lives. Persecution, exile, execution, torture, crucifixion, fighting in Colosseums or just being mocked and killed in Colosseums by wild animals. They would have been cast out from their businesses, their homes, their families for following Jesus. There's two really interesting Greek words here um, in in this passage, periasmos um, and dikemon, if I can say that, dikemon. The first word periasmos is, um, it appears kind of in verse three there if you're looking at the passage. When troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. So the word troubles there is the word periasmos, and it's the same word that's used in verse 12 for the word temptations. So the word has two kind of connotations here um, between trials or difficulties and temptations. And Elliot, if you would stick the um, little image on the screen here. There's a video by an organization called The Bible Project, which has a really good way of talking about this. And it talks about if a king gave us a challenge and said, okay, I've got this challenge for you to go and do for me. It's going to be a difficulty, but I want you to try and do this for me. Um, We would think it was a good thing to do because we knew the good king had a good thing for us. But if there was someone who was against the king who said, I have something I want you to come and do, And we didn't trust that person, so the next image is going to come up. We would know that that testing and that trial was not for our good. And in the same way, this idea, this word periasmos is used to talk about testings and difficulties here given to us by by God or used by God or temptations used by the devil here to point us away from God. Verse 12 there, we would ask, you know, God, why are you tempting me with this difficult thing, with this sin in my life? But God doesn't tempt us. And actually in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, it says that God always provides a way out of temptation for us. 
And so we aren't tempted by God. We're tempted by our own evil desires and by Satan. And if we let that produce anything in us, it will lead to to death in us and lead to bad things. Don't let your life be led by that um, lie that God is tempting you. And whereas the challenges given to us by God are like those challenges we see in the Bible given to the biblical characters, Abraham given the challenge to sacrifice Isaac on Mount Moriah, or Daniel um, challenged to pray three times a day even though he knows he'll be thrown into the lion's den, or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego um, challenged to not bow down to the idol in, in Daniel as well. And, and the amazing thing that they say in, that, in the middle of that trial is God will protect us, but even if he doesn't, we won't bow down. If we believe that God is truly who he says he is, we know that the challenges he gives us in our lives, he can use them to produce good things in us. Because he did that in all of the lives of the biblical characters through Abraham and through Daniel and through Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I really... in, in encourage you to look up that um, video. It's um, the video on tests by the Bible Project on YouTube. It's a really good um, illustration of what this has to say. And so the next other word, um, which is also translated as testings here, dikiamon is um, used in verse 3 when it says, for when, you've, when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. And the word tested here is um, more like tried when it is um, put under pressure. The word is actually used to describe a silversmith purifying silver. It's used in, in the Old Testament in Proverbs 27 verse 31. For the crucible is for silver, the furnace is for gold, but people are tested for their faith. The idea is that a silversmith would have got the silver and heated it up so much that the impurities would all have come to the top. Once the impurities are at the top, they would have scooped them up and thrown them out and heated it up again until the impurities were gone, up until the point where the silversmith could see their own reflection in the silver. And what implications does that have for us? Then when we are given these difficult things, when we are given these difficulties and challenges in our lives, God can use them to bring all of the impurities to the top. And we can see that when we're under pressure, we get more impatient and we get more irritable, we get more angry and we say, we say hurtful things. And we can see those things in our lives and ask the Lord to scoop them up and to pour them out so that we would reflect his son more and more. The temptations sometimes is that we see these difficulties um, and we let them draw us away from God. And I don't claim to know the difficulties that you're going through in, in your life, if you are going through any difficulties or if you have. I don't know the depth of your pain and I can't claim to know that. All I can claim to say is what Scripture is saying to us this morning, that the Lord knows what's going on and that the Lord can use it to produce good things in you, to produce resilience and stickability. In you, as it says, it will produce, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Imagine if we could look into the face of our difficulties when we face them in our lives and say, I count this as joy because this gift is helping me grow closer to you. I don't know if any of you have been following the diocesan YouTube or Facebook pages, um, but they've released a new series um, called Faith Under Fire um, about 
those in the persecuted church. And it's basically the testimony of a guy called Mushtaba, and it's a really um, worth a watch. But in the trailer for the little video, it's about two minutes long, he says um, this about being in prison for his faith. Jesus, I thank you for this suffering because this pain is nothing compared to the pain without you. And it is bringing me closer to you. And what do we gain from enduring with Jesus? Well, it says in verse 12, 12 that we will gain the crown of life. The laurel crown would have been used in ancient times to, to put on the head of someone who won a race or to put on the head of an emperor who started to rule. And those two ideas can be seen in our lives, that we will gain the endurance, we will gain the eternal promise of God and eternal life, but also he will give us the gift to rule here on earth, representing him and reflecting him into the world. But again, how do we go about doing this? How do we go about saying that we count it as joy when we face difficulties? Well, it goes on to say we ask for wisdom. If you need wisdom, ask our God, our generous God, and he will give it to you. We ask God to help us to do this. We don't claim to be able to do it ourselves. And God doesn't rebuke us. It says that he's generous. He will not rebuke us for asking, but we have to believe that he will give us what we ask. Otherwise, we're like the shifting images of waves. And James is using his, his book to, to talk like um, those Proverbs in the Old Testament. And so he moves on immediately to get into different aspects of wisdom throughout the rest of the passage. And so wealth and poverty, he says, if you have any reason to, if you are brought low for any reason, thank God for that, because that's an opportunity for us to rejoice if we're rich, because God can use that to bring us low so that we recognize our need for him. And if we are low, if we are in poverty and in difficulty, we can thank God that he can raise us up because of his goodness. You might ask the question, I don't feel like I'm very rich. Um, I'm not a very rich person, and I don't know how much money is in your bank, but, um, and I don't want to know, but it's all relative terms. Um, if your household earned more than 20,000 pounds last year, you are one of the top 12% earners in the world. I'll just say that again. If your household made more than £20,000 um, post-tax last year, um, then you're one of the top 12% of earners in the world. And so in relative terms, um, a lot of us are rich. You can reduce that. You can look that up online very, very easily. Um, and you can reduce that to 15000 10000 and it gets down to 20%. We're still in the top 20% of earners in the world. But all of this wealth, all of this stuff that we have will pass away, as it says in verse 11. Some of my friends I look at who don't know Jesus, and I think, how would they ever come to God? Because they have everything they would ever want. They've got a good job and money and everything that they would need. Why would they ever come to God? But we need Jesus, and we need God to reduce us, to bring us low, so we recognize our need for him, and so that we can be saved and come to him. And verse 17, it says, where do these good gifts come from? All good gifts, every good gift comes from God. He is not changeable and nothing in the world can change him, but he changes the world through the power of his light. Like Nigel has said um, a few weeks ago, God is good all the time. All the time God is good and we can thank him for all the good things in our lives. 
that he's not the author of our pain, but he is the author of all good things. And so every, free, every car- parking space, every leftover bun in the house, every unexpected hug, every warm cup of tea on a cold day, every sunny day sitting outside, every free gift from God is his good gift for us. And it's our job not only to recognize those good gifts, but to recognize God's good gifts in the corrupted things in the world as well. The devil is only able to take the evil, th- good things in the world and corrupt them. And so we can recognize the God's good thing even in the corrupted things of this world. What's an example of this good thing? Well, he says his good word that he's given us. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word. And we, out of all creation, became his prized possession. And again, James moves on again to the next bit of wisdom. Be quick to speak, or be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. I don't know how challenging you find that, but I find that extremely challenging. I, um, I tend to be the reverse. I am slow to listen, I am quick to speak, and I'm very quick to get angry. And I want to ask the Lord to help me to be better at this. Imagine if we lived our lives this week being slow to speak, quick to listen, and slow to get angry. Rick Warren says, the deeper the hurt in someone's life, the less we should say, the more we should listen to them. A lot of the times, people will, 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 say, will look at people's lives and will say there's a difficulty. Oh, well, here's a thing that happened to me, and that was really hard for me, and, and you should listen to me now. Whereas actually what we need is people, we just need to be people who listen. Listen to people's hurts, who stand beside them and show them how much we care. And how much hurt have we all caused from being quick to get angry and say hurtful things? And how do we become people who don't do that, who are people who are slow to get angry and slow to speak? Well, we get rid of the evil things in our lives. And we go to verse 21 there where it says, get rid of, um, so get rid of all filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word that God has planted in your hearts for it is the power to save your souls. Ask yourself, about everything that you experience and use and do in your life, is this helping me grow closer to God? If not, well, maybe I need to get rid of that thing. Whether it's a TV show that you watch, whether it's a a radio channel you listen to, friendships that you have, whatever you're intaking into your heart, is this producing good things in me or is it something I need to get rid of? And again, James moves on and says, about being people who don't just listen to God's word, but do it, just as Gemma was talking about in chapter, that comes up in chapter two again. What a waste of time this will be about reading this immerse session, about reading this every day, if we don't let it change us, if we don't let it make us into new people. If we are just doing this exercise for the sake of doing it, what a waste of time it is. Unless we let God's Holy Spirit change us through his word, we're just reading words on a page. But if we let this change us, if we let the Holy Spirit use this to make us into new people, what difference that can make in this church and in the world? That's the reason why we ask the question every week in our groups or even on your week card, how how might this change the way we live? because this has to make a difference. It has to change us. It has to make us more like Jesus. 
And in verse 23 and 25, it says, it's, it's as ludicrous as looking in the mirror and then going away and forgetting what you look like. Like as if we had a big mark on our face when we're getting ready to go out to church this morning. And we look in the mirror and we completely forget that big mark's there. And we come to church and someone says, oh, you've got a big mark on your face. Imagine if that's what we did, but that's what we're doing with scripture when we don't let it change us. And you can think about this in two ways. Either we're looking into the mirror of God's word and it shows us our wrongs. It shows us what we need to change and we don't do anything about it. Or we look into the mirror of God's word and we see how we have become justified in in God, how he has called us to a new thing, how he calls us his sons and daughters, and that's what we can see in the mirror. And so as Gemma said, we go away and we change and we do something about it. What worth is all of this if we don't speak well to our neighbors, as it says in verse 26, to ourselves, to our work colleagues, to our um, family at home, to our children? What worth is all of this religion if we can't even speak well to each other? And verse 27, it finishes with what is perfect religion? What does God actually ask of us? If you claim to be religious, but don't control your tongue, you're fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God, the Father, means caring for the orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. That's where he finishes in the end of this chapter. And this chapter highlights the whole book. What does real religion look like? It means caring for those who the world doesn't care for, who God does not forget. And it means not being stained by the world. This specifically mentions orphans and widows. And I just feel challenged to to mention the the foster care system. That um, if you feel like God might be calling you to, to that, there's a stat that says if every church in the UK fostered one child, there would be no children in the foster care system. And what a challenge. I don't claim to know that, but this passage literally says, care for the orphans and the widows. So let's not be stained by the world either. This life of faith means following God. May we count it as joy when we face difficulties so that we may turn into his son more, that we may shed off these evil things and become a reflection of his son. May we be people who are slow to speak and quick to listen. May we know that every good gift that we have is from God. And that may we exercise true religion by not forgetting those who God has not forgotten. Let's pray. Lord Jesus,